join me once again this morning in 2 Peter chapter 3, 2 Peter, third chapter, begin reading at verse 11, and we'll read through verse 18, that is through the end of the chapter, the end of the book, 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 11. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved, and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn? But according to His promise, we are waiting for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, since you're waiting for these, be diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish and at peace, and count the patience of our Lord as salvation, just as our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you according to the wisdom given to him, as he does in all his letters when he speaks in them of these matters. There are some things in them that are hard to understand which the ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction as they do the other scriptures. You therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, take care that you're not carried away with er the error of lawless people and lose your own stability. But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. The word of our God. Let's pray. O Lord, help us now, not only to see and understand, but to faithfully apply and live in light of this your word. For these things we pray in Christ's name. Amen. First day of school. Last day of school, graduation, vacation, holiday weekend, wedding, baby's arrival. All of these have something in common. They're days anticipated. It seems in the time leading up to them, they'll never get here. And then they're welcomed with a curious mixture of joy and sometimes a little bit of fear. Our wedding day was kind of that mix. Joy about the wedding, fear that I would forget the words to the song that I was singing, augmented by the somewhat unfortunate choice of my groomsman. In a moment of maudlin sentimentality, I actually asked friends, three pastors and a deacon, to be my groomsman. Always safer to go with acquaintances for such events rather than friends. They seem to find it their duty to harass you. I've mostly forgiven them. It's only been 30 years, give or take. We are today at our final exposition in 2 Peter. We theme this, Faithful Reminders for Foolish Times. And just before that, we looked at 1 Peter. We themed that faithful living in 
fearful times. As we come to this, we find both letters calling us to faithfulness. The time in which Peter was living and writing involved a very hostile culture, as well as the unfaithfulness of some within the church and the problems that was bringing to bear. The false teachers were basically rejecting the reality of the second coming of Christ. And part of their reason was this whole idea of the world being in some kind of upheaval. That just didn't seem reasonable. After all, the world had gone on for thousands of years at that point without any change. Why this expectation? The whole idea of the inbreaking of the Son of God transformation simply seemed beyond possibility. Yet Peter's unashamed to address this, as was Paul, part of my reason for having the responsive reading out of 1 Corinthians 15 is to reflect what Paul had to say about this coming future. And let's acknowledge something here. When it comes to the issue of the future, we're all a bit more interested in solving puzzles than we are in living godly lives. The former is entertaining. Doesn't cost me much other than some brain power and the chance maybe to let people know that my view of end times is better than your view of end times. We tend to focus, I think, far too much on the puzzles of end times rather than the motivation that ought to create in us. Because what Peter's teaching us here is the day of the Lord should move us to live for the Lord. Those things are to be connected. The thought of looking at the future and considering the issues that may come about was never meant to be primarily a problem to solve a puzzle to fit all the pieces together. I know some of you are terribly disappointed because you like puzzles. But you see, the first thing to consider is this. Anticipating the day of the Lord leads to a new life. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness. Not what sort of people ought you to be in solving the dilemma of the third toe of the left foot of the beast. Waiting for, hastening the coming of the day of God because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved. The heavenly bodies will melt as they burn. But according to His promise, we're waiting for the new heavens and new earth in which righteousness dwells. Therefore, beloved, since you're waiting for these, be diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish and at peace. Since this world will be transformed. And I think when he talks about the world being burned, I don't think he's trying to say that will be the utter dissolution of all things, but the current order and the effects of sin completely burned away and a renewal. Think of it this way. He compares it earlier to the flood. When the flood comes, the world is not completely undone, but the world is dramatically changed. The same thing here. A dramatic change. Romans 8, 22. We know the whole creation 
has been groaning together in pains of childbirth until now. Revelation 21.1, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And the question comes, how are you going to live? Peter does not give us great details about the end of the world. He's emphasizing one primary evidence or primary element, excuse me. Everything you see will one day be burned up. If you look at the overall teaching of the end of the world in Scripture, almost all the writers give us snapshots. They don't give us lengthy video presentations. Now, I know some of you say, well, if you know how to interpret the book of Revelation, you get the whole thing. My friend, I have watched some of those video presentations of Revelation by some, and I can tell you that they are less than satisfying, ultimately, in the picture. Scripture doesn't spend near as much time as some of us would like defining those things. Please understand, I'm not for a moment saying the end of the world and the judgment and the coming of Christ don't matter. I'm saying that the writers of the New Testament use the future hope and the thought of this world being burned up and changed and Jesus coming back to motivate you and I about how we are to live. 1 Peter 1, that as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct, since it is written, you shall be holy for I am holy. One of the primary motivations for personal holiness is the knowledge that we're living for another life and another world. Paul uses this in Philippians 3 in the present tense, saying our citizenship is from heaven. From, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like His glorious body by the power that enables Him even to subject all things to Himself. And some of you are just dying for me to explain a particular little phrase there. Verse 12 waiting for and hastening the coming day of God. You just, oh, how do we do that? But wait a minute, can we do that? I mean, Scripture says the Lord has already established the day that He will come. He knows what He's going to do. So how do you and I go about hastening this day? Listen to another brother. From our standpoint, from our limited vantage point, we can hasten the day of the Lord in the sense we remove hindrances to it. We fulfill the condition of its coming, which according to the Scripture would be the preaching of the gospel to all nations, the ingathering of that full number of Gentiles that have come in, have to come in before the end comes. In other words, my friend, hastening the day, this is again motivation for action. If we want to see the Lord's return, then we ought to get busy in the things that lead to the Lord's return. There are people who don't know Jesus. We ought to go tell them about Jesus. We ought to send people gladly to do that. We ought to sacrifice to do that. My friend, when you consider 
There are literally millions and millions of people who have never, ever heard of Jesus Christ. And we're busily engaged in building our middle-class, upper-middle-class lifestyle and say that we live for the sake of the kingdom. Now, folks, I have no interest in getting into your personal business about how you handle your money, how you live your life, but I will ask you this question. Does seek ye first the kingdom have any bearing on the way you spend money? Does seek ye first the kingdom have any bearing on your goals, your targets, what you think is most important? And it's not just about your money. What happens whenever your kid comes home and says, I believe the Lord would like me to go to the mission field and you respond with glorious apoplexy? What? But I thought you were going to do this, this. Don't you know that could be a hard life? Friends, what do we live for? What do we actually believe? Does this motivate us? Anticipating the day of the Lord, does it personally move us to holiness? But you see, anticipating the day of the Lord also leads us to submit ourselves to the Scripture. Verses 15 and 16 count the patience of our Lord as salvation. Just as our beloved brother Paul, I I so enjoy this. Peter has to talk about Paul just a little bit here. Who also wrote to you according to the wisdom given him. As he does in all his letters when he speaks in them of these matters. There are some things in them that are hard to understand. I can't tell you how much comfort I take from that. An apostle says of another apostle, apostle, some of this stuff's hard to understand. Of course, I could turn around and say, Peter, that's kind of true of you. Some of your stuff is a little hard to understand. There are some things hard to understand, which, notice this, which the ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction as they do the other scriptures. My friend, we are to submit ourselves to the Scripture, knowing this is how God speaks to us, and it is part of God's grace and patience to us. Paul said in Romans 2, 4, do you presume on the riches of His kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? Every person in this room has been a recipient of the goodness and kindness of God. The question is, has the goodness and kindness of God, which everyone here has received, has it led you to repentance? Has it moved you to follow Him? What a horror it would be to stand on the day of judgment before the king of the whole universe who looks at all things, knows all things, including our very hearts, and him say, well, didn't you notice I did this for you and this for you and this for you and this for you? And you're going, "Uh uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. And you know what? You never did repent. Well, now, Lord, I was waiting for you to do a little more. I don't think that's what you're going to say. In fact, I fear you're going to fall on your face in horror that you presumed on the goodness 
kindness of a very righteous God. I'll notice something else about this submission to Scripture. Peter places Paul's letters in a unique place. Do you notice that? What does he say? Our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you according to the wisdom given to him as he does in all his letters when he speaks in them of these matters. There are some things in them that are hard to understand which ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction. Listen, as they do the other what? Scriptures. Now, I'm always fascinated by folks who want to drive wedges in the Bible. Let me, let me give you a little heads up, children. When you hear somebody say, ostensibly under Christian ideas, well, I've decided I'm going to listen to what Jesus says and not give so much weight to Paul or the other apostles. You're listening to a buffoon. I don't say that lightly. You wouldn't know anything about Jesus had the apostles not written it down. And to say you're going to listen to the word of Jesus in the Gospels versus what's written in the rest of the New Testament drives a wedge that Scripture will not let you drive. There is no conflict between what Jesus teaches in Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and early Acts, and the rest of the book of Acts, and all the rest of the letters. If there's a conflict, my friend, it's your lack of understanding, not that somehow there's something distinct or different there. Hear what the Scripture says. When Paul writes, when Peter writes, when you read the text of this New Testament, it is the word of our God. It is Scripture. When we say sola scriptura, what we mean by that is what Scripture says God says. And we will hear it and we will heed it. And we'll be extraordinarily careful to respect and submit to it. The gospel comes to us, strengthens us through our knowledge of the truth. What is it that Scripture tells us? Well, it, it explains us. This is what I find so extraordinary. Scripture explains me. And it explains you. It explains our world. It tells me who God is. It shows me the reason for my struggles, my stresses, my sadness. How do I make best use of this? You and I, when we read these letters, when we spend time in them, and we seek not to do anything to twist or mess those up, we are submitting ourselves to what God says. And folks, this is for the benefit of our souls. This is instrumental in holiness. Whenever you get the idea that Scripture can somehow be left alone, that you can ignore the Bible and live the Christian life, you're on the pathway to destruction. Now I hear people, well, I just want to listen to what the Lord says to me. Get a Bible. Get a Bible. 
Well, I want to know the impression on my heart. My friend, how do you know the impression on your heart ain't just you? I don't know about you, but that inner voice at times has led me wrong directions because it was me. I've done stupid stuff listening to the inner voice. I need to hear what he says. I should read, meditate, spend time with the text myself. Now, I've said this before. I'm going to say it again. I think this is probably going to be a theme for the balance of my ministry, however long the Lord gives me. But I'm going to to say this real plain for you, okay? Get a Bible. No, no, I don't mean in here. That's okay. But this ain't the same as this. Why do I say that? My friend, part of this is learning to use the Scripture in the way the Lord wants us to use it. It's a tool. Now, please, I'm not picking on you. Some of you today say, I'm going to a digital Bible, and he's mad at me. I'm not mad at anybody. I, I, get, I go to conferences a lot of times, so I don't have to tote a lot of stuff. I take my phone out, and I read my Bible along. But my friend, when I study the Scripture, I need to be able to see where it is on the page. I need to be able to make some notes in the margin. I need to highlight some stuff. I circle things and draw lines. If you look at my Bibles, they're all marked up. I just freaked some of the people out when I was younger. Some, I had grandparents and aunts and uncles and all sorts of church. You wrote in a Bible? You bet. I'm going to find that thing. I need to see it. And having a physical Bible lets me do that. My friend, this is for the sake of meditation. It's taking advantage. Now, how do I do this? Let me just briefly, I'm not going to go to seed on this. But my friends, hear, hear this. Take advantage of the public ministry of the Word. When there's a chance to sit under the Word preached in this church, be here, take advantage of it. When there's a class offered, take it, take advantage of it. Take it in both broadly and narrowly. If you've spent a year reading the whole Bible, maybe next year you pick one or two books and you read them and reread them and reread them until you know them. And then the next year, go back and read the whole Bible again. Find multiple ways to take the text of Scripture into your life and heart. Anticipating the day of the Lord leads, my friends, to a new life, to holiness. It leads to submission to the Scripture. It also leads to discernment. Look at that 17th verse. You therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, take care that you're not carried away with the error of lawless people and lose your own stability. Error comes not only from ignoring Scripture, but also twisting it. Guard against it. One of the reasons I say this, and I've said this to you often, if you hear me say something, you hear this preacher preach and you're going, wait a minute, I don't know about that. Come talk to me. I may be wrong. It's been known to happen. Could be we've had a misunderstanding. Could be you're wrong. Possibility. I know you. You don't know me that well. I know you well enough. 
we should be steadfast in hearing and heeding and being careful. When, and I said this before, I say it again, I don't think I can warn you of this enough. When you have somebody show up and say, look, I found something new. Ain't nobody ever seen this. Run. Just fat, put your finger, get out. The way to stay steadfast, listen to D. Martin Lloyd-Jones, is not just a little psychological encouragement, not just turning over the pages and feeling you're being entertained by reading Scripture and studying doctrine, but doing so in a humble and reverent manner. If you do that, says Peter, all the taunts of the scoffers and all the heresies of the false teachers will leave you quite unaffected. The world may persecute and even threaten to kill you, but seeing these things, having a view of the glory that awaits you, you'll be able to smile at it all and stand firm and continue steadfast in your most holy faith. My friends, this is instrumental in faithfulness. Some of you may have seen this week. I saw it as well. I shared it. The story of a Ukrainian pastor who was captured by Russian forces, tortured for his faith. What I read, they broke all the toes on both his feet, broke his arm. Finally was allowed to get into a hospital and while there escaped. But everywhere he went, he encouraged believers and preached the gospel, told people about Jesus. Now, I don't know about you, but the thought of that kind of pain frightens me somewhat. I hope it would not be enough to keep me from faithfulness. But you see, my friend, when the Scripture feeds you, when this is what feeds you, it leads you to discernment, and leads you to that discernment that you won't budge when it matters. All right. Anticipating the day of the Lord leads to godliness, a new life, holiness. It leads to submission to Scripture. leads to discernment. Consider this then. It finally leads to spiritual growth. I love the way Peter ends the letter. But grow in the grace, knowledge of our Lord, Jesus, Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. To Him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. Hmm. You still got your spot there? Back up a page or so. Chapter 1, verse 1. Simeon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours by the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ, may grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. Hmm. Grace, knowledge. Peter uses this anticipation of the future, these prophetic events to mold us, to motivate us to live. And folks, this is true even at the beginning of the early church. It's this movement to spiritual growth. It's the way things actually begin. Whenever Peter preaches day of Pentecost, Acts chapter 2, when you read that sermon, 
you see that there's a little bit of a melding, if you will, of first Advent things. Christ has come. Jesus has been among you. You took him and with the help of wicked men put him to death. God raised him from the dead. He has poured out his spirit. There's a day coming of judgment. And he puts all that stuff together. And you remember as that whole crowd I wonder what that's like to be preaching and have hundreds crying out, what must we do to be saved? Wow. But after they're all baptized, this verse, and this verse has driven my thought about church and church life for some 40 years. This same group of people devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship and breaking of bread, I think it's Lord's Supper, and prayer. You want to know what a church looks like? Devoted to the apostles' teaching, devoted to the fellowship, devoted to the Lord's table, devoted to prayer. Growth. Life always leads to growth. Growth is normal. Growth is unequal, but it's always normal. And it's also something that needs nourishment, and that nourishment is this Word of God. It's that anticipation of the future. And we grow for the glory of the Lord Jesus Christ. Look at how he ends. To him be the glory both now and in the day of eternity. Amen. I know, some of you have been a Christian a long time. Some of you have been a Christian longer than some of us have been alive. <laughs> That's a little harder in my case. But herein is the question, I think. Am I growing? And growth is unequal. It's not the same. We don't grow at the same pace. And we don't even grow necessarily in the same ways. Some of us need growth in different areas. And the Lord is faithful to help you do that. That's His kindness. He's at work in you. But here's what I would encourage you to remember, Christian. You have never reached a place where you don't need to grow in grace and the knowledge of of our Lord Jesus Christ. You can't get too much of either of those. There's never going to be a point in this life where you're going to say, Lord, I think that's enough grace. Full up, maxed out, done. Thank you. Give it to somebody else who needs it. Friend, if you say that, I worry for you deeply. But you'll also never say, I know Jesus as well as I can. That, my friend, is the balance of your life. And I would say, likely the balance of our existence. We are to grow. Now I draw this to a close. Think of this with me for a moment. Now, it's obvious that Paul and Peter 
drank from the same stream. Is it not? Oh, I read in 1 Corinthians 15, day of the Lord, moment, twinkling of an eye, that glorious phrasing, O death, where is your sting? O death, where is your victory? Right? You're not alone. Listen to the words of John, 1 John 3. See what kind of love the Father has given to us. That we should be called the sons of God. And so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know Him. Beloved, we're God's children now. <laughs> Get that. Beloved, we are God's children now. And what will be has not yet appeared. So there's something we are. We're already God's children. But there's something we're going to be and we don't see it yet. But we know that when He appears, we shall be like Him. Because we shall see Him as He is. Now, folks, that'd be a lovely place just to stop. That's almost enough for an introvert to shout. I said almost. I'll leave that be. Listen to what he says next. And everyone who thus hopes in him purifies himself as he is pure. Now see, some of you are so messed up on this Christian thing. You, all you can think of is Christians are these people with all this list of rules. You got all these rules to keep. You got to keep rules. Who wants to go around keeping rules? You don't get it. Christians have been united with Christ in his death, burial, and resurrection. We are being made like him. And our joy and our glory is a day is coming when this growth that right now, being made like him, seems like a wretchedly long, frustrating project. I'm, I'm sorry, was that too blunt? Anybody besides me ever get frustrated with how slow you grow? You think you're doing all right, and then you, oh no. Look what I did, look what I thought, listen to what I said. Oh, God have mercy. Oh, by that way, that goes back to the needing grace, knowledge of Him, His thought. You want to know what motivates Christians to live godly lives? It's not so we get out of hell, because that's done. Right? Right, Christian? Yeah. That was settled 2,000 years ago outside the city of Jerusalem on a cross. It is finished. Done. When the tomb was empty, that was confirmation. He did what he came to do. 
<laughs> Christian, this, we, we, you know, non-Christian, you know, why do we live godly lives? It's not so we get into heaven. That's already secured. We live godly lives because we want to be like Him. This is the joy of our life. We love Him because He first loved us. We grow in grace and the knowledge of our Savior as we anticipate the day of the Lord. You see how he ends, to him be glory both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. Somebody dropped this quote off for me some years ago. They found it in Mr. Spurgeon. Oh, when I think that all I see about me is to be consumed, there remains nothing worth living for but to glorify God. Christian, this is where we are to live. My friend, if you don't know Christ, I call upon you now. Run to Him. Take all your sin, all your failure, all your rebellion. Don't, don't disown any of it. Own it. He belongs to you. What do I have to bring to the Lord to be saved? The only thing you've got, your sin. Don't hide from it. Don't pretend it isn't true. Run to Him. Confess and repent. Trust Christ and you should be saved. Oh, believer, Let's grow in this grace as we anticipate the day. Father, Peter has encouraged us, he's exhorted us, he's commanded us that we live holy lives. And we do it because we have been made his, the Lord Jesus. And because he is coming again. We know that the day comes when this sinfulness that still clings to us will do so no longer. Lord, as we have been justified by grace through faith in Christ alone, as we have been sanctified in the sense we've been set apart and are being sanctified as we grow in holiness, we know the day is coming of instantaneous transformation when we shall be glorified. We shall be made like Christ, for we shall see Christ as He is. O oh Lord, in light of this world burning and Christ's glorious return, may we live for that day of the Lord. For it is in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Let's stand.